the name of Jesus. Amen. Please be seated. The text for the sermon this morning is the gospel lesson read a moment ago from Matthew 11 and also the epistle reading from Romans 7. But first, a phrase from Jesus in Matthew 11. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Come to me, says Jesus. Or you could say, come to Jesus. Now there's an idiom that I'm sure we've all heard, a figurative phrase, a come to Jesus moment, or a come to Jesus meeting. When we say that, come to Jesus basically means to come to grips with your weaknesses and start improving yourself or else. But it has to, re- it has to be revealed to you from the outside because your brokenness and your weaknesses uh, you're, you're ignorant of them. Someone else has to come to you and tell you about it so that you can deal with it. So managers have come to Jesus meetings with their underperforming employees, telling them that if they don't do better, then they're going to have to look for work elsewhere. Teachers have come to Jesus meetings with their, chil- with their, with their students, telling them if they don't study harder, they're going to they're gonna fail. And maybe my favorite would be like the, the McDonald's, McDonald's uh, burger flipper who, who seems to burn every burger that he cooks and he drops hamburgers on the floor and then picks them back up and puts them back on the grill and hopes no one notices. That's when the boss comes to him and says, you gotta stop doing that. That's this come to Jesus meeting. You gotta stop doing that or you're out of here, man. And our usage of the phrase coming to Jesus Coming to Jesus moments are those moments when you are confronted by someone outside of yourself, you're confronted by the truth, and you realize your weakness and your brokenness, and you decide to do better. You have your come to Jesus moment, and you say, okay, now I'm going to start doing better. So it's when the doctor tells you to change your diet, or you're going to have a heart attack, or you have to stop drinking, or your liver is a goner. Now, in our normal usage, the come to Jesus moment hits us and it motivates us to get better and improve ourselves or else. Well, in today's epistle reading, Paul also has a come to Jesus moment. He's hit by God's law and he realizes just how bad he is. Because that is the law's job, after all to show us our sin. Romans 3.20, through the law comes knowledge of sin. And so the law gave Paul a come to Jesus moment. Romans 7, I do not understand my own actions, for I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. Nothing good dwells in me. I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to actually do it. I do not do the good I want to do, but instead I keep on doing the evil that I want to avoid. So Paul acknowledges the depths of his problem. He realizes how bad he is. Remember how Paul had been a Pharisee among Pharisees, one of the greatest of the Pharisees, the best and the brightest, a master of the law. He looks at himself but he finds only despair. As he says, there is a war 
waging within me. The good that I should do, I don't do it. And the bad I should avoid, I don't avoid. O wretched man that I am, who can save me from this body of death? That was Paul's come to Jesus moment. But there's a big problem. Because when we talk about come to Jesus moments with employees and students, the whole point is to have the person acknowledge their weakness and failures so that they'll start improving themselves. The whole point of the confrontation and the come to Jesus moment is to open their eyes to their brokenness so that they can start fixing themselves, start working to get better, right? So the come to Jesus moments assume the person's ability to improve himself. But you see, the problem for Paul is that he's saying that he already knows how bad his problem is. He knows good from bad. It's not like he's blind to it. He knows the bad he should be avoiding, and he knows the good that he should be doing. He knows it very well, but in his sin, as he says, he keeps doing the opposite anyway. Romans 7, I do not understand my own actions. I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to actually do it. That is, I want to do good, but I simply can't do it. That would be like the chef at McDonald's saying, I know that I shouldn't burn the burgers and I shouldn't drop them on the floor and put them back on the grill and pretend no one saw it. And even though I know how to cook it right and I know how to do this job easily, every time I go to cook, I still burn the burgers, no matter how I try. The law points us to ourselves to give us our come to Jesus moment. Look at your life, says the law. Look for evidence of faith, evidence of growth in your spiritual life. Look inside yourself and find some evidence that you actually love God more than your sin, or that you love God most above all other things. If you're looking for that, if you're looking for that kind of evidence of the growth of your faith and the growth of your spiritual life, what would you look for? Would it not be that you look for some sort of growth in good works and some kind of higher resistance to sin? That's the only place you would look, right? Well, the only way to measure yourself, the only way to do some sort of self-evaluation of how good you are and how faithful you are uh, have become, the only tool that you have to measure is the law. It's the only way to tell good from bad and right from wrong right? So you hold the law up to yourself, hoping to find some sort of spiritual growth, some sort of evidence of your great faith in God above all other things. But the law's job is always to show you your sin. That's its primary purpose. So when you go to measure yourself, when you go to find evidence of your great faith, the law will always point out your shortcomings and drive you to despair. And then the devil comes along in our times of trial, especially, and points to our suffering and says, hey, isn't that evidence that, that God is punishing you for your, your sin? 
Isn't that evidence that God doesn't love you? The law points us to ourselves, looking for some sign, some evidence, some way to be certain that we are saved. But the law always finds instead more evidence of unbelief. I mean, the fact that we keep returning to the same sins over and over again, is that not evidence of unbelief? You keep returning to the same worries and fears and lusts and greeds and whatever else? The law points us to ourself and we finally despair of our brokenness. As Paul said, I know the good that I should do, and I know the bad I should avoid, but the law always shows me my weakness. Who shall save me from this body of death? I remember in our usage of the phrase, come to Jesus moments, it's all about coming to an awareness of your brokenness so that we can improve ourselves. Now that, that self-improvement way of understanding come to Jesus moments might be how we use the term, but not Jesus. For Jesus says, come unto me, all who are wearied and burdened by their sin, all who are crushed by the law, all who are exhausted by trying to save themselves by their own works, and I will give you rest. For your souls. That is, come to Jesus, not to fix yourself, but so that he can do all the fixing. The law has you look at yourself and asks, have you been bearing your cross faithfully enough? Have you been a faithful parent enough? Have you been a faithful Christian enough? whatever that would mean. The law points you to yourself to look for evidence and certainty of your salvation, but you will always find their despair instead, because that's the law's job, to show you your sin. But the more despair we find, the more we are given our true come to Jesus moments. Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you not fear, not more laws, not a list of ways to improve your faithfulness or show your love, but I will give you rest. The rest that Jesus gives is a rest free from the yoke of the law. It's a yoke free of sin and shame. He takes your burden of sin and the heavy weight of the law upon himself and in exchange gives you the easy yoke of himself. His yoke is easy and his burden is light. For our certainty and for our evidence of salvation, he points you not inside yourself, but he points you outside of yourself to his cross. This is the Christian life that we live as both saint and sinner at the same time. That's what Paul is describing in Romans 7. As long as we're in this body of flesh, we are at war within ourselves. 
As Paul said, I see in my members another law, another law waging war against the law of my mind. Now the rest for the war is not found within ourselves, but it's found in only our Lord Jesus giving us rest. Rest comes from the outside in as a gift. As he places his name upon us and he kills our sinful flesh and holy baptism and creates in us new and clean hearts. He gives us rest as he calls us here to his name and speaks his forgiveness into our ears. That's why we start every service with confession and absolution. We don't talk about absolution. We don't talk about God's forgiveness and rest, but God's actually giving the gift. As we, as we say, I forgive you all your sins, not Jesus, he died on the cross to forgive all your sins, that's true. But he's actually giving us rest here. He's delivering it into our ears, bringing us his rest. For our sinful flesh, this will never be enough. We always want to push that aside and try to justify ourselves. We want to try to prove that we don't really need Jesus, especially not as bad as those other sinners over there. We keep running to the law, hoping to find evidence of our salvation and proof of how faithful we've been. But our flesh can never be obedient enough to give us true comfort. Like Paul, we know what we should be doing, but we can't do it. It has to be done for us. Oh, wretched man that I am, says Paul, who will deliver me from this body of death? I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. We are delivered from our body of death and our dependence on our works of the flesh. And that delivery is when Jesus comes to us in his word. And hearing his word, we say along with Paul, I thank God through Jesus Christ my Lord. He is our rest. He is our delivery from our false gods, from sin, death, and the devil. He is the one giving us the gift of faith and keeping us in that faith. He is the one gently forgiving our sins, kindly joining us together as brothers and sisters in his body, the church. And he is the one always with the voice of invitation for you and your children. Come unto me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. In the name of Jesus, amen. We stand for prayer.